other tone, 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 tone. This is a true story. Dryptomaniacs uses dramatizations, primary sources, and the research of black historians to depict real events and historical figures. Today's episode features Georgia Me and Karen Morrow. When a doctor coined the term dryptomania in 1851 to describe the mental disorder that gave black people an insane compulsion for freedom, it catapulted him to the top five Caucasian race theorists of all time. And because of that... Samuel Cartwright, top five? Nah, bruh. If we're talking the top five Caucasian race theorists, you gotta have Alexandra Stevens' cornerstone speech in there. And then you got George Wallace segregation now, segregation forever? You gotta have Thomas White Thought Jefferson, of course. Excuse me, who are you? I'm D. Sands, the number one verbal combat expert in the world. Wait, you're the D. Sands? Host of Spike Club? The Don King of battle rap? Don Queen, if you will? I was a big fan. I love battle rap. What happened to it? Nothing. It's only available on the Fininet. The Fininet? Yeah, the free information news network that allows Negroes to exist and thrive. It has existed since 1619, but it's only available to black people. How do people think people knew about stops on the Underground Railroad, planned civil rights protests, or sick cookout invitations? Spike Club is the number one battle series on the Fininet. Your podcast is big here, but not as big as the Spike Club. Here? Wait, I'm on the Finanet right now? Keep up, bruh. Well, I heard you was doing an episode on the greatest battle rap of all time, Ida B. You heard. The Finanet is always listening. Good to know, but this episode is about journalist Ida B. Wells. Bruh, that's exactly who I've been talking about. The idol who spit hot fire at a haters and made the haters fold up like a lawn chair. Wait. This is your girl, D. Sands, making it hot like a toaster oven. Spit so much fire, I can roast the dozens. I'm here with your favorite play cousin, Michael Harriet, to unwhitewash the past. I know you want to hear the brother that's always spitting facts. So let him tell you about the legend who kind of invented battle rap. Tell him, Mike. This is where you come in. Um, okay, I guess. This is Drinktomaniacs, the unshackled history of the many beefs of Ida B. Wells. Okay, now you got some intro music or something? Oh, right. This episode was recorded in front of a battle rap audience. Any offensive references are intentional. For as long as we've been permanent residents on this stolen soil, Black people have found a way to record and communicate the insanity of the Black experience to each other. But what if we were to actually write a love letter to the warrior griots? Who would we address it to? Who is the standard bearer that preserved our past and fearlessly told our truth? Which truth teller embodies the boldness of our ancestors and the courage of our culture? It would have to be someone unapologetic, eloquent, and most of all, fearless. If you look throughout history, 
Get off the stage, my guy. You're washed. Yo, yo, be easy on him. He's just doing his job. Don't take the jizz personally, bruh. That's how we show love in the battle rap. Roasting is a love language. Welcome to the Memphis Free Speech Arena. That's right. Y'all ready for our special edition rap battle throwdown? Today we're honoring the greatest battle rapper of all time, Ida B. Wells. I've read everything there is to read about Ida. Well, not everything. When I try to find a lot of what she wrote, you'll find out that no, no copies, copies exist, exist burned, burned by, by a white, white mob. mob. Yeah, yeah, I know. White people stay burning our history. But that's what I'm trying to tell you. Our culture is our historical archive of our past that can't be dismissed. Most of what you know about Ida comes from her beefs. Luckily, our Finanet archives has maintained a copy of Ida's beef in the cloud. Let me guess what that stands for. A cachet left for our unborn descendants. Caucasians love observing us. Damn. We power our server with an actual cloud of evaporated white tears. It's one of the most abundant resources on the earth. Wait, did you say you have some of Ida's beefs recorded? All of them. Our database has a complete archives of the great black battle rappers. From Loaded Lux versus Murder Mook to Dr. Umar versus Breakfast Budgets. Give me your grit money. We even have crews like Marcus Garvey's Universal Negroes versus W.E.B. Du Bois and the Talented 10th. So of course we have a complete record of Ida B. Wells' beefs. You can tell me what you need, and I can download it from the Finanets or History Archives. Okay, I'm going to go in chronological order. So I know Ida B. Wells was born enslaved in Holly Springs, Mississippi on July 16, 1862, and started writing under a pseudonym after she sued a railroad company for discrimination. Local outlets noticed her fearless writing style, and that's when Ida became a well-known journalist in the veins of... Hold up, bruh. Don't disrespect the crowd like that. Let me translate this into a battle rap so we can get to the good part. Go right ahead. Silence in the building. If you a drapedomaniac who pays the cost of flows like a boss, let me know you're in the house. If you ride first class and nothing less and you don't take no white folks mess, let me know. In 1884, Ida had a first class train ticket when they told her to move to the smoking section so a white man could have her seat. Ida said no, and the railroad workers dragged her off the train. Y'all ready? Hold it down, hold it down. We tracked down the recordings of the beefs with her and Judge Julius J. Du Bois. She's fine, and I want to make her mine. Make some noise for the one, the only, Ida B. Wells, play the tape. Well, 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 Judge Julius J. DuBose, it's nice to finally meet you. I'm Ida B. Wells. The B stands for how I'm about to beat you. Well done, like steak is supposed to be. But I got raw beef with you for what you did at People's Grocery. I'm about to cook this cracker. Why y'all think I keep the toast on me? See, I usually go by my initials. I be nice with the pen, but I'm mean with the pistol. I be turning the other cheek, but I be wiping my ass with you. Ida B is the shit. That's why I be treating you like tissue. I be spitting that fire. If you fuck around, I be finding you. 
You know what they say, where there's smoke, there's Ida. It ain't no mystery why Ida be pissed to the highest of passivity. But since this is the Drake the Maniacs, let's unshackle some white history. Ida took the Chesapeake and Ohio Railway to court. After she won the lawsuit, the Tennessee Supreme Court reversed it. She wrote about the incident in the local newspaper under a pseudonym, my bad, a pen name. And under her street name, Iola Memphis Free Speech signed her to a record deal for an underground disc record. Y'all ready? Ah, hell, I know what's coming. That's my jam. Um, do we have clearance to play this song? What? The DJ already downloaded the clip from the Finnet. It's about to get rowdy in here. You better go to a commercial or something. This is the world's hottest DJ. If Bill Street could talk, it would play the song that's burning up the streets of Memphis. It's the hot new single from Iola. Here is Tear the Train Up. Tear the Train Up. I done tear the train up. Tear the train up. I done tear the train up. We'll be back with more Drictomaniacs after this short break. Please tell me we signed a damage waiver. We're back. Let's continue with this episode. Before Ida moved to Memphis, another formerly enslaved man, Robert Church, bought up all the property in town along Bill Street, including a saloon, a hotel, and a concert hall. Then he opened a bank and made loans to other black entrepreneurs and became the first black millionaire in the South. Memphis was one of the places where black-owned businesses were often much nicer than the white ones. So when Wells' friends opened up People's Grocery in the black Memphis neighborhood called The Curve, the white man who owned the grocery store across the street from People's Grocery was pissed. On March 2nd, 1892, a young black kid and a white kid were playing marbles outside the store when a fight broke out. Yep, yep, my cousin was there, and he yelled, world star, and was finna film. But then he remembered that cell phones hadn't been invented yet. Plus, that white boy's daddy jumped in, so the black grocery store owner came out of the store and broke it up. You know white boys can't fight, so everybody knew it was gonna be trouble. That's exactly what happened. You know what? I kind of like this audience feedback. The next day, Barrett, the owner from the grocery store across the street bought a sheriff's deputy, the people's grocery, and another fight broke out. And as this fine young spike clubber pointed out, white boys can't fight. So criminal court judge Julius DeBose issued arrest warrants for McDowell, Stewart, and even the little boy from the first fight. Unfortunately, Ida was out of town, so we don't know what actually happened. Say less. We got all kinds of people in the audience tonight. Can somebody hack into Ida's Finnet account and pull up her emails from March 1892? That was fast as hell. What does it say? Let's see. Hate mail. Hate mail. Spam about extended warranty for horses. Hate mail. Oh, here's one. Dear Ida. Girl, things are getting crazy. After the lynching at the curb, Judge DuBose ordered the sheriff to, quote, take a hundred men, go out to the curb at once, and shoot down on sight any Negro who appears to be making trouble. Now, he banned all the stores from selling ammunition, so people are scared. Armed white posses emptied out local hardware stores with their guns and ammunition and heeded the judge's order. Some people say, Judge DuBose may have even participated in the lynching. Hmm, not surprised. Yours truly, Peaches. Yo, 
why didn't someone tell the judge? March 9th, 1892. Dear Ida, girl, where are you? The white folks are whiting again, and I couldn't find a copy of the free speech. On March 9th, 75 masked white men stormed the jailhouse, dragged Ma, Stewart, and McDowell out of their cells, and took them to a railroad yard outside of town. I don't know if you've heard, but they shot McDowell four times in the face, leaving holes as big as fists. They got Stewart in the neck and the eye, and Moss, who ain't have nothing to do with it, was shot in the neck. It's real hot in these streets. Yours truly, Peaches. As soon as she heard about the lynches at the curve, Ida wrote a blistering op-ed. On May 27th, Wells exposed another myth with the bars that echoed across the entirety of white America. She let the chopper sing. I be the whale. They call me Hurricane Ida, the sound and the fury. Ida murdered more MCs than an all-white jury. Ida be a strong wind, so these crackers can't see me. But black people be feeling me. I'm kind of like white supremacy. Plus, I put you on your ass. I'm like straight shots of Hennessy. But right now, I'm about to knock out the biggest Klansmen in Tennessee. Ida be gonna expose who's hiding under the white robe. Ida be well informed, like how the emperor knew clothes. Tell it, bring him out, bring him out. But first, I got a few questions for the black people of Memphis. You ever wonder who's responsible for all these racist terrorists? What's their incentive? We know they some bitches, but when they lynch the black men, who let them into the premises? Who's the real menace? I mean, besides the white supremacists. We know they'll act like they innocent. They always playing the victim. But according to the witnesses of the people's grocery lynching, Judge DuBose signed the warrant and was actually with them. But his orders to the lynch mob is the worst part of it. He said, shoot down on sight any Negro who appears to be making trouble. Judge Julius DeBose was actually a founder of the Tennessee Klan and the second highest ranking Klansman in the state. After the lynching at the curve, DeBose reportedly said, go out to the curve at once and shoot down on sight any Negro who appears to be making trouble. But it was another truth that Ida exposed that turned the country upside down. But we can't blame Judge DuBose for all the killings in Memphis. See, white people think they're protecting their woman's innocence. Because lynchings is the only thing keeping black men from just wild. It's an old threadbare lie used to justify mob violence. After Ida's words about the threadbare lie went viral, the white citizens called a so-called committee together to lynch the owners of the town's black newspaper. But when a lynch mob came looking for her, they were too late. Ida B. Wells was one of the reported 6,000 black people who left Memphis. A few months later, a group of Memphis lawyers accused Judge Julius DeBose of 39 violations and crimes. The charges included torturing defendants, shaking down businesses, sexually assaulting a defendant's wife in his chambers, sexually assaulting a clerk in his chambers, and forbidding merchants to sell guns to black customers. The Memphis free speech was burned by a white mob. No copy survived. But they wouldn't silence Ida B. Wells. She became the most famous anti-lynching advocate in America. She pushed for an anti-lynching law, but a lot of people still believe that there were packs of black men out there looking to ravish white women. But the leg rinsers weren't the only ones who believed this. Ida's next beef was one for the books, the history books. She would take on Booker T. Washington 
and his just be quiet and maybe they won't kill us stance on lynching. Booker T. Washington was born enslaved and became the president of the Tuskegee Institute. He kicked it with presidents, was beloved by the public, and might have been the most well-regarded black man in the country to white folks. Black folks, however, called him out for his respectability politics. We got both sides on this one. DJ, run the track. The moment you've all been waiting for. The most anticipated matchup since Rock faced off in a three-way match against Paper and Scissors. It's Ida B. Wells versus Booker T. Washington. Ida won the coin toss and has chosen to go second. Booker T? Uh, uh. There once was a lady named Ida who made people think she's a fighter. She's always complaining and acts so angry and that's why nobody likes her. She says that I'm too friendly cause I don't speak out against lynching. She's so outspoken, she calls me a token, but they ain't run me out of Memphis now. Ida B. Wells lost her job, and she was attacked by a white lynch mob. But white folk won't riot when black folks stay quiet. Why don't you shut up and work hard? She calls me an accommodator, but Ida B.'s just a hater. She's anti-white. I'd rather play nice and rake in these white donations. If you had one shot, or one opportunity to seize everything you ever wanted in one moment, would you capture it, or would you lose yourself around the white man? I right, fam, I was gonna take it light, but now I wanna fight. Damn! I read up from slavery, your autobiography. Now, honestly, I'm just trying to understand your hypothesis. So if I work hard enough, White folks won't bother me? That's astonishing. Explain that logically before I vomit, B. Cause what you're saying is dangerous. I know you're famous, but you climbed all the way from slavery right into white folks' anus? I don't know what your plan is, but do me a favor, answer this. All I wanna know is, whose man's is this? Just because a dog is a man's best friend don't mean we gotta be white folks' bitch. Whose man's is this? Only an idiot would think hard work would stop them from shooting us. But I think Booker T's a saint. Yep, he's a real Judas. I hope teaming up with lynchers was worth 30 pieces of silver. Or maybe you're not a traitor. You're a traitor who sells black folks down the river. Whose man's is this? She cooked him like a Thanksgiving turkey. Partly because of Ida B. Wells, Booker T. Washington became more vocal about lynching. In fact, the institute Washington led, Tuskegee Institute, now Tuskegee University, is now home to the most complete record of lynchings in America. And it wasn't just Washington. As the world's foremost lynching expert and one of the most famous reporters in America, Ida set out to disprove the myths of lynching once and for all. She published three best-selling pamphlets and was one of the first figures to attach data to the lynching epidemic in her effort to get Congress to pass a lynch law. Of course it didn't work. Have you met Congress? Their counter-argument was essentially, black folks do be criming though. Which brings us to Ida B. Wells' longest-running, most famous beef of all. It spanned continents and decades. 
We'll continue this episode of Drapetomaniacs after this break. We're back. Let's continue with this episode. First, to understand why this beef was so big, you have to understand that this was the 1890s. So there was no radio, no movie stars, no record industry. And Spotify was probably a disease Samuel Cartwright made up to describe black people who wore polka dots. Ida was quite possibly the most famous black woman in the world and one of the most famous people of any color, period. She was like Oprah, Michelle Obama, and Beyonce, but with big clapback energy. Frances Willard was the white woman. When she started beefing with Ida, Willard had been the president of the Women's Christian Temperance Union for more than a decade. It was a conservative Christian feminist group that fought to prohibit alcohol and promote women's suffrage. By 1890, it was one of the largest women's organizations in the world, and Willard was in charge. Now, Ida wasn't necessarily against the WCTU. In addition to supporting a living wage, temperance, women's suffrage, a minimum wage, social welfare, and Jesus, Ida wanted the powerful group to support anti-lynching legislation. Oh, and to stop being racist. But Willard was a top-tier all-star Hall of Fame bigot who claimed she didn't have a racist bone in her body. Or as she said, So far as I know, I have not an atom of race prejudice. She was the prototypical progressive liberal white woman who volunteers with after-school programs for underprivileged urban youth from the inner city but doesn't want black people in her neighborhood. And Willard's entire plan for achieving the WCTU's goal was simple. Blame black men. During a tour in Britain, Willard advocated for the banning of alcohol by noting that the colored race multiplies like locusts of Egypt. Willard believed the, quote, race problem could be solved by black people returning to Africa and noted the tragedy that black men are allowed to vote and white women were not. Willard also said that black men were literally hanging outside the homes of white women waiting to rape them, saying, The safety of women of childhood of the home is menaced in a thousand localities at this moment so that the men dare not go beyond the sight of their own roof tree. Ida was mad as hell. Luckily, she was headed to England herself. Just before she left for not-so-great Britain, Ida pulled the second pettiest move ever. We'll get to the first. Ida asked the British tabloids to reprint Willard's column so that she could respond. Then Willard threw shade at Wells in another interview and told her to be careful how she talks about black women. In her presidential address to the WCTU, Willard devoted half the speech to defending her belief that black men are pro-rape. This back and forth went on for years until, in 1895, Wells produced a 100-page pamphlet, The Red Record. In it, Wells used a brand new discipline called sociology, created by her old friend and underground conscious rapper W.E.B. Du Bois. But among the tabulated statistics and historical analysis of lynching, Wells did something that would land her in the Petty Hall of Fame. It was her Pettysburg Address. Wells devoted an entire chapter to one person. It was called Mrs. Willard's Attitude. This is one round winner takes all. We've never seen Ida go first before. 
She's already hit Francis Willard with the threadbare lie. What will we see here tonight? I don't know. I mean, going against the judge was one thing, and Booker T. Washington was a gimme. But this is a white woman. If a white woman starts crying, they might lock us all up. I'm too beautiful to go to prison. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to apologize. Apparently, I've been telling y'all lies. Selling bullshit just to see who buys. But when I look at the world through Francis Willard's blue eyes, now I realize maybe all the black people are wrong and Miss Willard is right. When Thomas was dragged out of people's groceries by 75 white murderers, he hadn't killed a single soul. But if you ask white folks, he deserved it. Miss Willard dismissed it. Say he probably guilty, probably on that looker. She ain't worried about lynchers, she worried about temperance. I mean, what's the difference? It's just a few niggas. I shouldn't have even mentioned it, so I apologize. I apologize for dismantling myths about black rapists. Maybe I'm racist. I could be mistaken. Maybe I'm hating when I ask how white ladies made it all through slavery on plantations without being taken. How were they safe when the men were away and fighting a war all over slavery? The answer escapes me. Before emancipation, most of the raping was done by Caucasians. I can't make it make sense, but I'm probably crazy for trying to dispel all the myths and the tales with detailed evidence. Let Miss Willett will tell you the facts are irrelevant, and I'm disrespecting all the Klansmen who treat us like animals without literal humanity. But apparently, I'm the one without manners for seeking understanding. I apologize. Will that stop Francis from attacking me? Well, she raps right after me. I can't wait to see her explain all the savagery while she excuses brutality, how she can be a true Christian and overlook the lynching, how the upstanding white citizens can be silent witnesses. Even when the victims are actually innocent, she doesn't give a shit. I think all men are created equal. I think you shouldn't kill people. But Miss Willard disagrees with me. She thinks murder should be legal. Why would any American support domestic terrorists? Well, if you wait a few seconds, Miss Willard's gonna tell you just why she's so against this legislation against lynching and extrajudicial killing. So sit back and listen to my arch nemesis, the whitest woman in history, the official representative of all the white witches, the champion of Karens, ladies and gentlemen, Francis Willard. In her last speech as president of the WTCU, Willard begrudgingly called for federal legislation banning lynching. She did it at the 1897 National Convention, and even the people who were opposed to a national lynch law couldn't argue with her detailed report, which was literally just Ida B. Wells' lynching statistics. I'm sure she just forgot to cite her sources. She probably would have clarified where she got them from the next year, but at the tender age of 58, which is like 108 in white woman years, Frances Willard died in her sleep in a New York City hotel. By then, everyone in the black press was on Willard's neck. Frederick Douglass called her by her name in one of his most famous speeches. Frances Harper, the most prominent member of the WCTU, helped Ida start a new organization, the National Association of Colored Women, with Ida's homegirl, Mary Church Terrell, the daughter of Memphis's billionaire Robert Church. But Ida never stopped beefing. Hold up, Michael. 
I don't like the way you're talking about Ida B. Wells. If there's no Ida B. Wells, then there's no D. Sands. Ida didn't have no beef with nobody. Come on now, if you've been listening, and we only mentioned a few of Ida's beefs. She clapped back at W.E.B. Du Bois for initially leaving her name off the list of the NAACP founders when white women got their right to vote and forgot about the black women who organized the suffrage movement. Ida called them out and dissed Susan B. Anthony to her face. She fought against segregationists, the police, and even the president. Every single black person who ever spoke out on freedom, equality, and liberation was painted belligerent and angry. Ida B. Wells was a smart, educated, outspoken black woman in a country that's sexist and racist. What if I told you that what you call beef was just a strategy? Have you ever heard of the Elaine Massacre? Of course, the Elaine Massacre was one of the worst racial massacres during the period that we call the Red Summer of 1919. Oh. So you know about the Red Summer? Or how about the mob that killed Robert Charles? Or the East St. Louis Massacre? Or the lynching of Sam Hoes? I know about all of that. Well, the reason you know about so many of the events was that Ida B. Wells covered these injustices in black newspapers from a black perspective. Before the New York Times coined the phrase Red Summer and used her data techniques, they were calling her a nasty-minded malatris. And because of her fame and outspokenness, the entire world had to pay attention to the plight of black people. She was literally the first black American woman to write for a mainstream white paper. She never attacked Frances Willard. She attacked what Willard said. To be fair, Ida was furious. But if you read her autobiography, she considered Frances Willard and Susan B. Anthony to be dear friends. She wasn't upset with them or Booker T. Washington. Her beef wasn't with individuals. Men and women of America, are you proud of this record which the Anglo-Saxon race has made for itself? Your silence seems to say that you are. Your silence encourages a continuance of this sort of horror. Somebody must show that the Afro-American race is more sinned against than sinning. And it seems to have fallen upon me to do so. If this work can contribute in any way toward proving this, and at the same time arouse the conscience of the American people to a demand for justice to every citizen and punishment by law for the lawless, I shall feel I have done my race a service. She was a founder of the NAACP and helped the organization come up with a definition for lynching. I know we think of lynching as a hanging, but according to the NAACP and Ida, when three or more people committed any public execution of a person who did not receive due process, that defined lynching. By that standard, Ida counted 3,436 black lynching victims between 1886 and 1922, a rate of two per week, and still no anti-lynching legislation. And then, on March 29, 2022, 160 years after Ida B. Wells was born, nearly 130 years to the exact day of the anniversary of the People's Grocery Lynching, President Joe Biden signed America's first federal anti-lynching bill. Standing beside him on stage was Michelle Duster. 
the great-granddaughter of Ida B. Wells. I'm Michael Harriet, reminding you, as Ida B. Wells told y'all, ain't no such thing as halfway free. Drake Toe Maniacs is a collaboration between Other Tone, Sony Music Entertainment, and Queer Media. This podcast is produced by Nolika Radway and Moses Shoyola, with senior producer Janicia Francis, managing producer Joanne DeLuna, production coordinator Homero Radway, and production assistant Jillian Roberts Atkinson. Executive producers for this show are Pharrell Williams and Scott Venner. Our head writer is Silas Miami. Our writing team includes Roderick Morrow, Danielle Solomon, Dallas Rico, Taylor Lamel, Randolph Terrence Sturdivant, and Tsepo Moche. Special thanks to voice actors Andrea O'Brien Vives, Jason Vives, Janelle Brown, and Roderick Morrow. Our sound engineer is Tony Paulson. Our fact checker is LaPortia Thomas. Music supervisor is Patricia Wangeshi Kihoro. The theme song is Freedom by Pharrell Williams. This episode features Georgia Me as Ida B. Wells and Karen Morrow as MCD. Thank you for listening to season one of Dryptomaniac's Unshackled History. If you enjoy this show, please share it with a friend and give us five stars on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Read more by Michael Harriet at thegrio.com. 